Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful day for a ball game. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Play ball. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Uh, you know, the Twins have us feeling so gloomy about baseball. Like, we're watching all these amazing baseball games. We're watching this uh, historically good Cubs lineup, and you've got this scrappy Dodgers team. And we're, but we're, it's like we're so apathetic to baseball. We're actually in Minneapolis, both of us, but doing this podcast remotely. <laughs> Usually we might ease into a podcast and kind of go over the current events, but I'd like to throw a bunch of twins nuggets and speculation at you that I've sort of gathered over the past couple weeks, if you're down with that. Let's do it, yeah. Um, this is, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be careful because I, I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things up in the air right now in the twins organization, and Derek Falvey hasn't even really come in and uh, gotten his hands on uh, the important stuff yet. In fact, because the Indians are up 3-0 as we record this, there's a good chance, unless they blow a 3-0 lead, that they're going to be playing for another week or two. And so that just sort of puts off when Derek Falvey can come in here and roll up his sleeves, literally and figuratively. So I'm going to I'm going to throw some stuff out there that I've heard and that I've sort of gleaned behind the scenes, and then you can react. And I just want to caution people that I'm not all in reporting some of this stuff. This is speculation, very Darren Doogie Wolfson-like, okay? Just uh, don't, don't uh, kill the messenger. Don't use the messenger as a Bible. None of that stuff. All right. It wouldn't, and I kind of floated this either last week or the week before, it wouldn't shock me if Paul Molitor still loses his job. Uh, I'm going to go a little further and say there's going to be wholesale changes with the Twins coaching staff. Um, there are already a couple people in mind in case Molitor isn't back. Uh, for manager, and there's a couple of strong pitching coach candidates in mind too, but a lot of this stuff is up in the air until Derek Falvey uh, comes back. And the other thing I heard too is that Rob Antony is actually, not only is Rob Antony very likely to stay in the organization in some capacity, whether it's assistant GM, which is the role he's been in for the last six or seven years with the Twins. Um, I don't know what his official title will be, but I know that the Twins, that Derek Falvey's not just going to come in here and blow everything up like a lot of fans want. Uh, there's going to be some familiar faces that stick around for at least the next year to help the transition and to even point out, hey, this is some of the stuff that's working. There's people in the organization, in the front office, that haven't fully agreed with some of the, the, the various operations and things that have been going on the last couple of years. And so uh, those people now have a chance to make it known to the next, I almost said president of baseball operations. I keep doing that. Uh, yeah. The next chief, <laughs> chief baseball officer. Cool title um, must so, be included at all times, Phil. Right, right. So if Paul Molitor is out, and, and I know the organization was very much split 
on what to do with him midseason when they felt they were 0-9 to start the year. Uh, they were, however many, 25 games below 500 or something ridiculous before the All-Star break. There were people in the organization that wanted him out, whether it was as a scapegoat or they just didn't feel like he was doing uh, as good of a job as last year as manager. And Terry Ryan, loyal to the baseball grave, didn't want to put this losing season and a number of mostly losing seasons uh, you know, during his second stint on the manager. And so I don't, I don't know if Terry got fired because he wouldn't fire Paul Molitor, but Terry Ryan is fiercely loyal and doesn't want to use scapegoats. And so um, it very much could have factored into Terry Ryan's dismissal that he wouldn't make a change at manager midseason. If Molitor is out, the number one name from everything I've kind of heard the last two years to look at is still Tori Lovello, who almost landed the job instead of Paul Molitor two years ago. So there's your Paul Molitor coaching staff speculation, Derek. Hmm. Wow. Um, I'm still, I remember we talked about this, was it last week's podcast or two weeks ago? I was kind of wondering during the season in June, July, as the losses piled up and the season became sort of that you know that drudgery it's it's different going through a losing baseball season i think than any other sport because it doesn't matter how you're feeling about your team how you're feeling about yourself how you're feeling about your life it's august and you just have to get up and play another game tomorrow and then you have to do it again the next day and then you have to do it again the day after that and that can be tiring for for coaching staffs for for managers even even though they're not putting in the same kind of physical exertion as the players are, you know, I went through a summer covering Buck Showalter, and I swear the only reason he kept his eyes open every time I talked to him was because he was mainlining coffee through an <laughs> through an IV. Um, Molitor's much the same way, and so I I just kind of started to wonder in my head, you know, is this fun for you? Do you do you like want to do this again? It might not be your choice necessarily, but if it were all up to you would you decide to be back even? Or is this kind of, hey, I tried my hand at the managing thing. There, there are too many pressures. There's too much media stuff to deal with. I get, you know, too much blame when things don't go right. It's just not, it's not for me. But yeah. going against that, uh, I saw the interview that Molly did with uh, the guy you mentioned a minute ago, Darren Doogie Wolfson, um, on the Scoop podcast, actually, in which... Molitor basically said, I love this job. I know it doesn't always seem like it. I'm a quiet, reserved guy. I get how that comes across to fans and to the media and all that stuff. But just because I don't, you know, slam bats and helmets in the dugout and go tear into an umpire every single night, um, I'm, I'm fiercely passionate about this job, and I still enjoy doing it. And that, that sort of put to rest any question in my mind about whether he wanted to be back um, I guess I'm kind of with you that it doesn't necessarily guarantee he will, although I would argue, Phil, if you're waiting this long, let's say the Indians close this thing out and go to the World Series, you're waiting another two weeks to get the person who's supposed to be in charge of making all of these decisions uh, technically can't have any hand in it because Major League Baseball has a rule that you can't be working for two teams at once. Of course he's going to finish his Indians tenure up. I'm... I'm starting to wonder, what, how does the timeline of any of this stuff work? How would you still go find a very highly qualified pitching coach, manager, full coaching staff, uh, any of these things? Even front office members might get a little yeah. tricky. Um, I, I just sort of wonder, will the hiring timeline make sense for this year, 
Or do you sort of just keep everybody this year, figure out what you think of them in the first 12 months, and then if you need to make a, a it won't be as clean of a break, but if you need to make a break in 12 months, at least you'll have the information. You'll say you'll be able to point to, hey, I worked with him on this project, and he, a, he was either great and exactly what we need, and we should promote him or try to keep him around, or b, and I'm not really convinced there's a whole lot going on there, and, and maybe we could get an upgrade going somewhere else. At least you'd have a body of evidence to point to. Yeah, and I, I, I well, first of all, I think it's easier to make coaching staff and manager changes, uh, even if you're coming in right away. Let's say he, let's say they win the World Series. So let let's say let's say Derek Falvey doesn't show up officially in the Twins organization until November, uh, which is only two weeks away. So I mean, it's not like I mean, well, two weeks can be a lot because you could probably roll up your sleeves and, and work 80 hours a day for yeah. or uh, 80 hours a week for those two weeks. I think that um, uh, the final, isn't it game seven, is scheduled for November 2nd if the World Series yeah. were to go to a seventh game? Yep, it definitely, it definitely leaks into November. And actually, on a completely side note, uh, a Cubs-Indians World Series would be all kinds of amazing historicalness. Like, you'd have one franchise that's gone a half century, actually more like... What's my math on that? 54, uh, like, like 70 years or 68 years. Another one that's gone 108 years. But on the, um, on the point that you bring up, which is as the timeline stretches out further, it becomes a little more difficult or a lot more difficult to hire smart people to replace the people that you want to replace. My guess is a guy like Derek Falvey, who's been interviewing for this and who's been thinking about this as young as he is, probably has a short list of people that he really likes and respects. It's not like he would have to go through a search firm to find a new pitching coach, right? Yeah. My guess is he he wants. There's three guys in mind that he would uh, that he would potentially go after. I know that, for instance, you look at the Indians' pitching staff, and uh, is it Mickey Calloway? Yeah. I might be I might be getting that name wrong, but the the Indians' pitching coach has been highly highly regarded, and I think the results sort of speak for themselves. Not to credit the pitching coach with all of their major league success with the bullpen and the starting staff, but um, I don't know how that would work, if it would be a lateral move, but I'm sure Derek Falvey would absolutely love to take the Indians pitching coach over the Twins, but I don't even know if the Indians would allow uh, such an interview to take place. But like I said, if they do let go of Paul Molitor, I know two, two, two things at their core to be absolutely true. Number one, Rob Antony is still making decisions in that front office. And Rob Antony will likely be the main liaison for when Derek Falvey takes over as the new CBO. Derek Falvey is going to put trust initially into Rob Antony to tell him, here's what's working, here's what's not working, here's what I think needs to be done. And then on top of that, Rob will have to, over the course of time, uh, prove that he's worthy of staying in the Twins front office as well. So I know that to be true. I know that Derek's going to come in here and he's going to lean on for all the internal, you know, what, what's this over here? Let's talk about the internal uh, scouting database. Let's talk about the, the people in the front office, the personnel on the field. He's going to lean on Rob Antony for that. That's thing number one. Thing number two that I know to be an absolute fact, a lot of people in the Twins front office, and I can't necessarily confirm that Rob was one of them, but let's just say that he was, loved Tori Lovello when it was down to Tori Lovello or Paul Molitor. And so if Terry or somebody else was the main, uh, the main, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Proponent. I, the main, 
the, yeah, the main proponent or the main uh, voucher for Paul Molitor two years ago, well, he's gone. I mean, Terry was standing up for Paul. Terry was putting faith in Paul. So I just, uh, I don't know why Jim Polab was so adamant back in uh, June or July, whenever they made that decision official. I think it was near the trade deadline, so in July. I don't know why he was so adamant, but I could see at the time just not wanting to cause a big commotion in the clubhouse, and I could see maybe just putting the conversation to bed for three months and then rekindling it sometime in September or October. I'm also not saying that Paul Molitor is 100% gone. I just think it's much, much, much less certain than, uh, than when those words were spoken in July. So, well, let me... You know, I, it's, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, in reverse, I, I want to address both of those things and, and, and get your thoughts on it. Because the second thing that you mentioned about it being less certain, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Jim Polad thought that at the time and exactly what you're saying, wanted to kill any storyline or any awkwardness more likely. He didn't want Molitor to have to manage every single day wondering if he'd be back. Now, I personally think Molitor's the kind of guy who's strong-willed enough. He would have been able to handle that burden, but... As an owner, you can see why you wouldn't want your employees and some of your more important employees to have to deal with that situation. So I get sure. that. I also, with that being said, in the very same breath, although I'm lying because I did just take another breath, um, <laughs> that the, the thought process at the time could have been his real thinking, and it doesn't preclude him from changing his mind. I wouldn't be surprised at all if you said that fully believing it and then get to October and are like, Ooh, yeah, I guess I guess the new guy who we are putting a lot of faith in, I guess it would make sense, man, if he made his own hire. That yeah, boy, I didn't think about that. Like it could the circumstances could just change. I, I I wouldn't be surprised at all with that. And then to your first point about Rob Anthony, I bet you I bet you, Phil, we have listeners right now that are pounding their head on the table and I'll ask you to please stop because concussions are a dangerous thing. But they there are, are people yes. who are going to be upset by the fact that Rob will still have I wouldn't call it a pivotal role, but certainly an important role in this 2017 Twins front office. I'll ask you, Phil Mackey, wouldn't you do the exact same thing, keep Antony in some capacity as sort of, uh, whether it's a transition or whether he's auditioning for a job for the long term, I would absolutely, given the timeline, want to keep somebody like that involved and, and intimately involved. Hey, this is Derek Wetmore. Quick interrupting this wonderful Touch Em All podcast. Two requests for you, audience. First, if you have Facebook, which the statistics show you do, go to 1500 ESPN Twin Cities and like our page. You'll get all our stories and all that good stuff. Second, if you'd be interested in a Facebook live streaming of the Touch Em All podcast, let us know on Twitter, at Phil Mackey, at Derek Wetmore. We would love to hear from you. Hey guys, it's Phil Mackey from 1500 ESPN and one of the hosts of Sports Over Beers, the original 1500ESPN.com podcast where you find your favorite 1500 ESPN personalities drinking beer and talking sports. Pretty simple. Find it on iTunes, Podcast One, and 1500ESPN.com. Am, am I crazy or do you feel similarly about Rob? Um, I think... Whether we're talking about Rob or, or anybody else in a similar circumstance here, you're coming in, and there's a lot of front offices in baseball, successful ones, with upwards of two or three dozen. When you, when you get down to the maybe 10 or 12 people in, a, in an analytics department, and then you've got people at the top of your scouting department, uh, and then you've got your core decision makers in the front office, and maybe even advisors. You know, Every organization has special advisors to the GM. 
you need a lot of people to successfully run a baseball front office in 2016. So I'm, I'm going to answer your question on the back end of this, I'm gonna, but I'm going to set this up. So the Twins, believe it or not, the Twins do have an internal analytics and scouting database. You know, all of these teams like the Cardinals and the Astros, who, well, that, that was, uh, was it the Cardinals hacking into the Astros even? Like, so every, every team in baseball, for the most part, has developed some combination of scouting and analytics all of this information in an internal database. And that's why you see all these programmers getting hired and all these people from baseball perspectives and analytics people to be paired with the scouting people. So the Twins, albeit uh, their database and their system is probably multiple years behind. It may be even uh, beyond the multiple years behind. It might just be behind in terms of the information they're gathering and then the communication of that information to players. I mean, obviously there's something broken in the system that's led them to as many losses as we've seen the last five or six years. But they've already got this thing that they've built over the course of multiple years. It's got all kinds of information. If you're Derek Falvey, does it make sense to come in here, blow everybody out, start a completely new database where you'd have to mine information and you'd have to bring in, because you're not just taking statistical information, you're taking on the ground scouting information you know, handwritten information on the, on the human level about players and you're combining these things into a database. Would you fire everyone and then light that system on fire and then start all over? Or would you take what the twins already have and maybe build upon it, expand upon it, make it better? I guess my question is, if you've got, if, if, the, uh, if, the, if the Houston Astros database or the Los Angeles Dodgers database on a scale of one to 10 is a 10, and maybe yours is like a three or a four, do you want to start back at zero? Or do you want to start at three or four and then maybe build upon it? And then in order to build upon it, you'd probably have to keep some of the people that helped develop it and know what the intricacies are, right? And, and, and I'm, not, I, I'm sure there could be another argument made for just blowing everything up and lighting it on fire and starting over, but I could see where keeping people in place and having them sort of help you through your first six to 12 months and then over that time period making an evaluation on whether they're qualified to be part of the future I wouldn't be offended if they took those six to 12 months if Derek Falvey took those six to 12 months and um, and went through sort of an evaluation process now I'm sure twins fans are listening thinking wait a second so it's going to take six to 12 months just to evaluate whether people should be hired or fired or kept on board well then how are they supposed to win in 2017 if you're going through an evaluation phase well, that's the bad news. They're probably not going to win in 2017. So if you can accept the fact that it's going to be a long path to find competent pitching and to develop uh, competent pitching throughout your organization, which is really the gateway to you being competitive, um, it's, it's much easier if you can accept that to wrap your head around a 6 to 12 month or maybe even longer uh, slow cook process here. Yeah, and, and, and I got a couple points off that, but just to be clear, you would not be offended by them retaining Anthony in an assistant general manager or what, even if it's general manager, I don't know. I'm not sure what, how the titles are going to break down under Falvey, but but you wouldn't be offended by, uh, I suppose people are going to see it as status quo, so I'll just label it that. You wouldn't be offended by the status quo there? Uh, not in the short term. Sure. No. I mean, and, I, I don't... Unless, unless there's five or six candidates right now that would love to work underneath Derek Falvey and would be available and would be instant superstars that you'd be able to hire before the winter meetings. I just don't think the timeline is right right now. If, if you hired him and he was in your organization in August and he had been spending the last two months 
going line by line and talking to everybody, I think you'd have a better timeline to maybe make some wholesale changes. But yeah. uh, so the, the Twins are sort of victims of the Indian success right now in a lot of ways. Not that, and I, I don't know this to be fact, but I'm pretty sure Derek Falvey has at least been swapping text messages with various people in the organization. I don't think you accept the job and then just go radio silent. I don't know what MLB's rules are on that. but yeah. Oh, here's another thing real quick right, that I, I almost forgot to throw this out there. So you talk about Twins decision makers and, um, and same old, same old. It's going to be Derek Falvey and what, he's just going to keep the same old people? A, no, I don't think that's going to be the case long term. B, I think he's going to beef up what is uh, widely regarded as an undermanned front office staff. But C, here's the most interesting nugget here. I was told very reliably that Joe Polad... So we're getting to the third generation Polads here. You've got Carl Polad, the late Carl Polad, and then you've got Jim Polad and his brothers who aren't really uh, quite as engaged. I mean, hell, Jim is barely engaged compared to, you know, compared to other curious owners in sports. I'm told that Joe Polad was very influential in the hiring of Derek Falvey and mm. that he's been spending the last five or six years going through various departments in the organization from from front office to marketing to even the radio side the last couple of years in sort of this uh, multi-year apprenticeship to eventually take over more duties on the ownership side. Well, if what I'm told is right, that he was very influential in the hiring of Derek Falvey, um, I, I think we're seeing that process expedited. And I can tell you, Joe is, you know, Jim is very socially awkward. Uh, Jim is a very quiet guy. He's not a very inspiring guy. Joe is pretty soft-spoken as well, but Joe has been much more engaged. Uh, Joe, I think, has... Joe. Ha he's not Mark Cuban passionate, but I think Joe has a much greater passion for potentially running a baseball organization than it comes off when I look at Jim. So hmm. if, if Joe is making the hire, or at least was 80% of the hire and was very influential in that room uh, with Derek Falvey, that represents a pretty strong shift in the Twins' ownership, if you ask me. Yeah, well, and, and some things after that, as long as we're digging into the notebook for all our, uh, uh, all our scoops of Raisin Bran, I will say that, um, first of all, when you say the 12-month hire thing, I'm curious about that because I don't think it would take 12 months to learn it. It would probably take about two months to learn it, but what are you going to do? Go through the first part of the offseason, decide this is not somebody that you want to work with, and then go looking in February, just before spring training, for somebody more qualified yeah. for the job? Nuh -uh. Correct. You got to go through the year. If if you commit to one month, you're committing to basically a full year or ten, ten or eleven months, whatever the timeline ends up being, and then you can go searching for replacements. Also consider, Falvey is 33 years old. I, I mean, and to your point about is he talking with the twins? There was a piece in the Star Tribune by Phil Miller in which Dave St. Peter was basically tap dancing around the idea of, well, he's been. He's been talking to people like, just hello, how are you, where'd you go to school? But we can't talk <laughs> about baseball stuff, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, all right, so they're trading Texas, that's, but yeah. it's nothing improper going on. Don't worry about that. Nothing that's improper like when, at all. It's like when the NFL free agency window used to open at yeah. midnight on, <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever, March 5th, the first week of March for the, for the league year. Yeah. And guys were signed, was it Albert Hainsworth? Hainsworth, signed yeah. Some $90 million contract at 12.03. Like, oh, you pick up the phone at midnight and all of a sudden the entire deal is done in three minutes. Oh, you know, we weren't talking at all before midnight. <laughs> yeah, exactly the same kind of thing. And I mean, I, I, I mean, the Twins did some roster cleaning the other day. They, 
they outrighted about, I think it was five players that, that might not make the team. I think the only one that have a chance to make the team next year would be Tommy Malone, and I'd even give him a very outside chance uh, of, of cracking the club uh, after spring training. But anyways, uh, I, I fully believe that Rob Antony could have made that decision unilaterally. It's not like he did. Oh, he, yeah, that... That it's was not like Rob's Falvey's texting him saying, "Hey, uh, Logan Schaefer, not sure he's going to make the club next year. You should probably outright him off the forty man." It's like that—that's not necessary, you know. So, yep, those are uh, Rob's decisions for, for sure. sure. It, wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. I'm not reporting this. I'm just this is my speculation. It wouldn't shock me if Falvey comes in and maybe before the winter meetings, maybe he or maybe even just sometime before the first of the year. I don't know what the timeline would be. Hires a general manager, so maybe hmm. Rob remains the assistant general manager. Sure. Or, or maybe Rob is the GM, and then they hire uh, another youngish, 30-something assistant GM. I'm not saying it's just going to be Falvey and the same band. Like, they're just changing lead singers, because I don't think that would be productive, even in the short term. But I'm, I, I think adding one or two key pieces to the, to the top cabinet of five or six uh, you know, employees, that would seem to make sense. It would be reasonable. You could find one or two. It's probably tougher to find 14, mm-hmm, <laughs> you exactly. know, before the start of next season. And that's, that's my main point when I uh, try to talk Twins fans off the ledge here. Sure. Well, and you're a music guy. I hope some of our listeners are so that this metaphor won't go over on, uh, on deaf ears. But the Twins are a, their front office anyway. They're playing in the genre of big band jazz. They're a big band jazz band. Okay, that's great. That takes a lot of members. It takes advanced skill. It's it's uh, it's a complex form of music. And so what they have right now is more like I'd say a six to ten man band. And they're trying to play big band jazz with the horns and everything. And it's just it's just not enough. Um, I've talked to some people in inside the Twins front office that basically say, like, this perception that we're so stuck behind the times, and, of course, what are they going to say? Yeah, it's totally right. We're way behind, way behind. Uh, that perception, though, isn't always rooted in reality. That there are, this person says that, uh, one person specifically told me that there are probably five teams that are way ahead of the curve uh, in terms of analytics compared with the rest of Major League Baseball. But then, instead of being some, you know, I'd say, like, graduated cylinder or whatever. It's a, it's a bell curve. There are five teams that are way out in front just lapping the field. Then there's probably 15 to 20 teams that are substantially similar, that are really doing a lot of the same things in terms of research projects and analytics, uh, scouting, any kind of that development stuff that goes along with yeah. taking a player from age 18 to major league contributor. They say a lot of the teams are really pretty similar. I, I tend to think that there's a lot of luck that goes into it, but you can't blame all of the Twins' shortcomings on bad luck. That would just be lazy and forgiving and probably giving them more credit than they deserve. Um, but I do think that if you're going to play big band jazz, you need enough members to get that done. I think you even look at the Indians' front office staff compared with the Twins, and there's just flat out there are more bodies uh, maybe they're getting some of the same jobs done, but you don't have one person covering three jobs or one person covering two jobs. In the Indians' front office, it's, okay, you are the director of scouting. You are the director of analytics. There aren't people that are overlapping and having to cover multiple different jobs and scouting international yeah. prospects. There's just a lot to be done in big band jazz and in baseball. So they need to fill out their trombone section. They need a couple of more horns. And I think their music is fine, 
but they're not really playing big band jazz until they actually fill out the whole band. Uh, I love it when we can slip in big band jazz analogies and metaphors on the show. I'm actually I thought staring you might like at my, that. I'm staring at my Ken Burns jazz DVD collection that I picked <laughs> okay. up about 10 years ago. Right Big on. jazz guy right here. Uh, I have one more point to make off what you just said, and then I got a bolt because if there's anyone in this room that has two thumbs in a tea time late morning, it's this guy right here. Uh, I think the most, yeah, the most important <laughs> hire and or improvement the Twins front office can make, uh, in my educated guess or educated opinion, has nothing to do really with information gathering. I mean, if you're still behind in, in the information gathering phase of baseball front officing, then you've got a lot of problems that, I mean, that, that, it's not hard to gather information in 2016, whether it's in sports or business or whatever. There's enough information out there. It's hiring somebody or getting better at taking the information that you're gathering, pitch count information, scouting information, injury information, whatever it may be, and properly communicating it to the people on the field level, coaching staff, manager, players, in a way that helps them win. I mean, can you... Can you improve their performance as coaches and managers and players by an extra 10 to 15% or even 2% or whatever it may be? Can you improve their performance by some, uh, what may seem like a small percentage, by just communicating better and explaining, hey, here's the information we gathered on your upcoming opponent, or hey, here's the information we gathered on uh, the rash of pitcher injuries throughout a particular organization. Now let's take that information, learn from it, and then implement something that helps us win at a higher rate. That's the arms race right now in baseball. Like, look, the Dodgers hired Gabe Kapler for that exact reason. Gabe Kapler was a 10-year major leaguer and a pretty, mostly a fourth outfielder, but a pretty solid major leaguer who is all in, for instance, on advanced analytics. And so his job with the Dodgers, in, in part anyways, is to take information, front office nerd information from guys who went to MIT and Harvard, and then communicate that information in a way that players and managers and coaches who might be a little bit more old school and traditional can understand. Does that help you win uh, or, or improve your performance by 3% or 5%? And that's the arms race right now in baseball. Yeah. Gathering information, processing information, communicating the information. Uh, there's, there's going to continue to be a challenge with that. I'm I'm a little surprised that baseball is not moving faster, and maybe it will now. You're seeing the Dodgers, the Indians, the Cubs, and the Blue Jays. Uh, these are these are teams that are forward-thinking. These are teams that are willing to bat Jose Bautista leadoff or Carlos Santana leadoff. Uh, have Clayton Kershaw come in on short rest and shut it down in relief. Use Andrew Miller at any time of the game that they think the leverage index is the highest. I mean... I do sort of think that it's going to be a gradual trend where baseball shifts away from the old paradigms, but I don't think those all have to disappear necessarily. I just think you're going to see, uh, much like in the NFL, you would see, oh, hey, the Wildcat was successful in beating the Patriots. Maybe we should start to run some of that. Well, okay, then people start to sniff out the Wildcat. They know how to counteract it. They, they know how to defend against read option offenses. All of this stuff... The same thing is the same evolutions are happening in Major League Baseball, and it's just interesting that they're playing out. Um, it's it's advanced statistics, it's big data, it's the Statcast stuff that's going to start to become better at evaluating players and projecting players, and it's medical. All of that stuff are things that every Major League team that can afford it should be pushing to try to innovate in, 
and I'm curious to see it, what direction the Twins go under Derek Falvey in any of those directions. So basically, if we learned anything over this uh, half-hour discussion, it's that the Twins just need better trumpet players in their jazz band, right? More trombones, I think, is what I was going for, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs>